Alrighty guys, we're going to be starting a brand new series today, and uh, it's going to be kind of a weird series, but I, I hope that it will be an impactful series. Um, I've always wanted to do this series because as you know, I'm kind of a, I kind of have a thing for definitions of words. Uh, I think it's so important that we understand what words mean, and so I've always wanted to do a series on churchy words. So that's going to be the name of our series, Churchy Words. Uh, and these are words that get thrown around in churches all the time, and it becomes kind of the lingo that we as Christians use, and it's just assumed that everybody knows what they mean. And, um, but often, many people don't. And many times, I think, personally, that we're given definitions of these words that I believe are wrong. And if we get a wrong definition to a word, it might lead to wrong type of thinking about certain things. And if we have wrong thinking, it can lead to wrong actions. Because as we know, thoughts lead to actions, and uh, wrong thoughts can lead to wrong actions. So that being said, I think it's very important for us to understand what words mean so that we can live out the truth of what Scripture says. that makes sense? Okay, I hope so. And maybe it'll make more sense as we progress along in a series. But to begin with today, I was going to ask you... I was, this was my plan, I was going to ask you what the most famous verse of the Bible um, is. But I Googled it before I did it this morning, and it came up with all these different answers. So I'm like, well, maybe I got it wrong. So I'm not going to ask you that. Instead, I'm just going to ask you this. What is the common verse that we will see on posters in, like, professional football games or professional basketball games? Anybody? John 3.16, exactly. Here's some pictures of that. Uh, Anybody remember the Rainbow Man? One person, cool. Uh, Rainbow Man, he, was, he had all his rainbow hair, and he would always have either on a shirt or a poster, John 3.16, and he'd put himself in position of the camera all the time. So that was, everybody knew and recognized him. Some people will have posters. There's uh, Tim Tebow. He has, uh, I can't, I don't know what those things are called, little eye protectors or whatever, and he has John 3.16 written on those. And so it's a very common verse that you will see, you know, plastered everywhere on TV screens. How many of you here today have this verse memorized? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and do it. Everybody? Harold, do you want to stand up and quote it? I'm just, <laughs> just joking. No, yeah, yeah, I think, I may be wrong with this, I'm not going to Google it, so I'm just going to say it is right. But uh, I think that this is probably the most memorized verse of all the Bible. A lot of people know this verse. And this, this verse comes out of the discourse between Jesus and Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Um, he was asking him all these questions. And during the conversation, Jesus says these words. And let's just read it. This is what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Life. Now, before we get into the churchy words of this verse, let's slowly read through this verse and understand what it's saying. For God so loved the world. Now, that seems pretty self-explanatory, but we need to make sure that we understand that that word world in Greek is cosmos. cosmos. And um, it not only refers to the inhabitants of planet Earth, it also refers to planet Earth. So, for God so loved planet Earth and all of its inhabitants, see, he loved all of his creation, all of the earth and its inhabitants, he loved it so much that he gave his one and his only son, Jesus, okay? He gave Jesus. Jesus is God's son, and he gave, them to, gave him to this earth to rescue it. Now, something, as most of us know, but something you need to know is that Jesus was promised a long time ago, even back in the book of Genesis, 
um, when mankind sinned and made a mess of everything, Jesus was, was promised a long time ago, and he was long awaited for. Okay? But God gave Jesus to this world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Basically put, God gave Jesus to the earth so that we could believe in him, and when we believe in him, we don't perish, but we have eternal life. Okay? Great. Now let's get into the churchy words. Because this verse has a couple of churchy words that I think we're going to miss the full meaning of this verse if we don't understand what these words mean. Okay? These are words, as I said, we throw them around all the time, but we may not know what they fully mean. And the first word I want us to look at that we're going to address today is the word believe. Okay? Or belief. They're synonymous there. Now, I've been talking about the word believe for a long time, and so this may be easy for most of you, but I'm going to cover it anyways because... To believe is to set the foundation for everything. So right now, what I want you to do is with your pen and your paper, hopefully you have a little bulletin or something you can write on, but what I want you to do is I want you to write down the word belief, and then I want you to come up with a definition for that word belief, okay? I want you to do that right now. Hopefully you have a pen. If you don't have one, borrow it from the person when he's done. You can do it on your phone if you want to. Write it in one of your notes or text yourself. Just don't ask Siri to give you the definition. Just do it yourself. Okay, go ahead and do that. I'll give you 30 seconds. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Got to break the silence somehow. All right. Now, before we cover the definition, I want you to very quickly write down what you think the opposite of belief is, okay? What would be a good word to describe the opposite of belief? Write that down now. Stop cheating. Just look at your own paper. All right, good. Now hang on to your answers because we're going to revisit them later, but I want to show you a verse real quick, John 3, 36. It says this, it goes, Who, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now I want you to study that verse right there, just kind of look at it, read it through again, and according to that verse right there, I want you to tell me what the opposite of belief is. What, according to this verse, would be a great word to describe the opposite of belief? Disobedience. Very, very good. In the scriptures, the opposite of belief isn't necessarily unbelief. The opposite of belief is disobedience. Now, I guess maybe you could put it this way, that disobedience and unbelief are synonymous, but when it comes to the Bible, we need to see that. Because I think sometimes we just look at unbelief as not believing something. But it's so much more than that. It is actually disobedience. Okay, if that's the case, then we need to come back to our definition for the word belief again. And, and we need to understand what is a good definition of belief or believe, being that we now know that the opposite of belief is disobedience. Okay? Well, let's look at that. And here is what I think is a great definition for the word belief. And I know that we've talked about this before, but I want to hit it again and again and again until we, we really get this. 
Here's the definition of belief that I want us to have under our belts. Belief is a readiness to act as if something, no, to act as if what you believe is true. Okay? It's a readiness to act as if what you believe is true. Let's read that out loud together. Okay? Belief is a readiness to act as if what you believe is true. It's when your, your whole being is set to act as if something is so. Here's kind of a, an analogy that might help us get our heads around it, but uh, I grew up in Arizona. I went to high school, not my whole life in Arizona, but my high school years in Arizona. And we lived way out in the desert, but we were really close to a maximum security prison. Okay, out in the middle of nowhere, but here's this huge prison. And these were some of the roughest dudes in Arizona. They were, you know, housed in this prison. And we were no more than maybe 100 yards away from this prison, and it was, you know, at night, the big orange lights were everywhere, and we would hear the speaker, you know, would uh, inmate 472798 please report to the nurse's office? You know, we would hear the announcements, we'd hear when there was like an emergency shutdown, I mean, that was that. And we were always warned and told that please always have a lookout for escaped convicts because some people could get out and they would be extremely dangerous, so you need to always be watching out for that. Now, um, in fact, one night, I remember some the prison guards showed up at our house and they said, three convicts have escaped, can you go help us look for them? So we went and we found them, actually. But it was always a possibility that convicts, convicts could get out, and so it was kind of dangerous. And we're out in the middle of the desert. Well, one day, I saw my mom out walking. She was trying to lose weight, you know, and she's out walking on this road out in the middle of the desert, you know, and you know how you ladies, you walk, they, you raise your hands way high, and she, I saw her from a distance, and so I thought, I'm going to scare her, and I'm going to hide behind this mesquite bush, and I'm going to get her to think that I'm this escaped convict, and I'm going to you know, jump on her and just really scare her. So I see her coming down the road, and so I quickly run, and I hide behind this mesquite bush right by the road, and it was like perfect because it was like four feet away, and I could jump out at her, and it would be awesome. And she's coming along, and I realized that I, I'm in a position where she might spot me, so I wanted to move to this side of the mesquite bush. Well, when I moved... I startled something. And has anybody, you know what quail are, right? Has anybody ever heard quail take off flying? Raise your hand if you have. Okay. When, first of all, it's not just one quail. Quail like to live together. And there's like 30 or 40. And when they take off, it's not just, it's like that. And it scares the tar out of you. Well, I'm there and I'm hiding behind this bush and I see her coming, so I go to scoot. 40 quail take off flying, and in my mind, I instantly believe that 30 or 40 convicts had machine guns shooting at me, and I take off running. And I have this weird thing, I don't know what I'm like, this must be genetics I got from my mom, but when I get really super scared, I shriek like a woman. And so I'm there, the quail take off, and I'm all, ah! and I take off running across the road. And my mom's all, and you know, she sees me run across her own screen, she's like, Lukey, what are you doing? I'm like, trying to scare you. You know, totally fell apart. And she's like, well, it serves you right. That's what you get. <laughs> the point is, I believed I was being attacked by prisoners and I reacted. My body went into motion. Now, kind of a negative example, kind of a sad example of this is I met with a man one time who, uh, when he was a boy, his dad would over and over tell him that he was just worthless and that he would never amount to anything. And you know, sadly, that, that young boy believed it. 
And because he believed it, he lived out as if it were true. And so his life really didn't amount to a whole lot. And he just lived a worthless life because he believed it. Guys, when we believe something, we will have a readiness to act on it because we believe it to be true. And guys, that's why it's so important that what we believe is right and it's true, amen? It's so important. And honestly, when it comes to the scriptures, it isn't so much what we believe as it is who, who we believe. Let me explain what I mean by that. Now, this is my opinion here, this statement that I'm going to share with you, but I want, to, I want you to hear this. But it is my opinion that if you focus intently on what to believe, you will miss out on the who. But if you take time to focus on the who to believe, what the what will take care of itself. Okay, just kind of look at that, that phrase there. I want you to soak on it, meditate on it for just for a few seconds. Because you see, here's the deal. I have found that Christianity, and I don't know when all this started, but Christianity has made itself be all about believing in a certain set of doctrines. That, that is, if, if you believe the right things, then somehow you're in. For instance, so often growing up, I, I don't know if you grew up with this, but when we were told, you know, we were told to go out and to reach people for Christ, okay? And we were told when we were go out to do that, um, a great starter question to ask these people is this. You'd, you'd come up to this person, a stranger, whatever, and you'd say, listen, if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God in heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, how would you answer? And that was, we were told what to ask. That was a tactic in evangelism. And, you know, that's not such a bad question, I guess, and I realize it's simply theoretical, but when you really think about it, if you showed up to heaven and God was asking you, why should I let you in, sounds like you're in real trouble. I don't know if you'd have an answer to really undo that, but that's what we were told to ask. And when we asked them that question, what we would do, obviously they would come up with the wrong answer, so we had to teach them the right things to believe in. And so what we do is we'd start to teach them these specific things. We, so we would teach them that, well, the first thing you need to understand is that you are a sinner. And we would use, you know, the scripture that we have, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we'd get them to believe that they're sinners. And then next we tell them that sin requires death. The penalty of sin is death. And we'd use the verse, you know, the wages of sin is death. And we'd tell them that there is nothing you can do about that, nothing you could do to, you know, to fix that. You are stuck. You are going to die. But the good news is the gospel that the Bible preaches is that Jesus has come and he has died for you. And if you believe that Jesus died for you, then you get to go to heaven when you die. And we'd spend time teaching that. That's what we were taught to do. So once we'd get done with all the teaching about that, we would then come back to that question and we'd say, okay, let me ask you again, if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer being what we just talked about? And, you know, we'd kind of cross our fingers like, man, I hope they got this. You know, we hope they get this. And so they'd go, well, you know, I suppose I would, I would tell them that I was a sinner. And he'd be like, yes, you're getting that? Good job. And my sin requires death. And he'd be like, yes, that's good. Yep, you got it. 
And there's nothing I can do about it. And he's like, yes, you're cutting it. You know, we're all excited. And then they'd say, you know, and I, Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. So technically, God, you, you have to let me into heaven because I believe that. And if they answered like that, we were like, sweet daddy. That's like, you got it. Yes, you're in. You're in. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, you get to go to heaven and you die. And we'd like high five. Is this awesome? And then we'd walk away and say, well, Lord bless you. You know, that's an awesome thing. And, and that was it. And, and you know, it's kind of funny because I did that so many times in my whole life. I really kind of started to buy into the idea that when I die, I'm going to go to the gates of heaven. God's going to meet me there and he's going to kind of give me a quiz and go, all right, hope you have the right answers to this. That's what I've always kind of thought. But you know, I have since seen some real flaws in that kind of thinking. Because if you notice in doing that, I have gotten that person to focus on the what to believe, and in doing so, they most likely have completely, the miss, completely missed the who to believe. It's like I got them to answer the right questions to a quiz. And in doing so, they think they're good to go. But guys, I'm going to be straight up honest with you here. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach us that. You won't find it. Instead, Scripture over and over and over teaches us to focus on the who. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes, what? In Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now tell me, third service, does that verse focus on the what or the who? On the who. Let's look at John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Tell me, does that focus on the what or the who? The who. And guys, I could show you verse after verse that focuses on the who. John 3, 15. That everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. John 6.40, or my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Acts 10.43, all the prophets testify about Him, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. And guys, there is plenty more verses like that. Now, why is this important? It's important because if we focus on the who, the what is going to take care of itself. Let me explain. If I get someone to believe that Jesus died on the cross for them, I am focusing on the what. And they may or may not choose to believe in Jesus. They might, and some people have and do, but they might not, and many have not. Did you know that according to the Barna poll, I don't know who Barna is, but he polls a lot, a lot of things, a lot of Christian stuff, and apparently, according to a Barna poll, I don't know what year this was, 72% of Americans believe that Jesus died on the cross for them. 72%. Now, I mean, if you came up to, apparently in this poll, they'd come up to him and ask you, hey, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? 72% of Americans say, yeah, I believe he did. And we might think to ourselves, hmm, that's awesome. We're a Christian nation. But let me ask you something. Do you think that 72% of Americans are sold out followers of Jesus Christ? No, not even close. No way. And why not? 
Because I believe they're believing in the what and not the who. And there's a big difference. And here's the difference, and I want you to get this. If we believe simply in the what, according to our definition of belief, which is a readiness to act as if what we believe is true, if we just believe in the what, how does that change a person? Guy on the street that I talked to, how does that change him? Where he, he just believes, okay, I'm a sinner. I deserve death because of my sin. But Jesus died on the cross for my sin to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that and he walks away. Tell me, how will his life change? How will he choose to act as if that's true? Well, quite frankly, he probably won't act any different. He probably won't change a bit. I mean, think about it. Jesus died for my sins. That's awesome. But now what? I don't know. I mean, I might be really thankful to Jesus for doing it, but it doesn't really lead me into action, and belief always leads to action. Truth be told, listen to this statement. I could believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and my sins and yet never choose to follow Jesus. I could do that. Isn't that crazy? I could choose to never obey him. Never do what he says. And still believe that he died on the cross for me. And apparently, the majority of Americans fall into that category. And why? Because they're simply believing in the what and not the who. Now, if we come at it the other way, and I choose to believe in Jesus, not just something he did, but believe in Jesus, then tell me, how will I act? be completely different. If I believe in Jesus, in other words, if I have a readiness to act as if Jesus were true, then my whole life would be different, be changed. Because if I believe Jesus were true, and if he was who he says he was, and I believe everything about him, including what he did for me on the cross, and not only that, I believe in Jesus, everything he said, then as a believer, Whatever he says, I would say, you know what? He's dead true about that. He is dead on right about that. And that must be the best thing ever. For instance, if I believe Jesus and I open up the scriptures and I read these things that Jesus has said, okay? Let me read them to you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If I believe in Jesus and that's what Jesus says to do, let me ask you, third service, what am I going to do? I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do it. And why would I do these things? Because I believe in Jesus. And if I believe in Jesus, then I believe he's right about everything. And I mean everything. And so if he tells me to love my enemies, then man, I'm going to love my enemies. Even though the world tells me that's the stupidest thing ever, I believe Jesus. So I'm going to learn how to love my enemies. If he says to do good to those who mistreat you, even though the world tells me to do just the opposite, I believe in Jesus and I am going to learn how to do that. Why? Because Jesus says so, and I believe him. I'm ready to act out as if he is right. 
Now, if I just believe Jesus died on the cross and I read those words, well, I might not have to do that. I don't know. I just believe he died on the cross for me. And so, guys, that's why the word belief is synonymous with obedience. If I believe Jesus, I will obey Jesus. If I believe Jesus, I will obey Jesus. It's that simple. And if I believe Jesus, then all the what will be taken care of because I know the who. All the doctrines and biblical truths I need to learn will come along in due time because I follow Jesus. And I'm going to learn those things. Because I believe in Jesus, of course I will learn that I am a sinner and in need of salvation. And of course I will see what he did on the cross as necessary to pay the penalty for my sin, to, to remove the legal hold that Satan and the kingdom of darkness had over me. Of course I'm going to learn that. All the amazing stuff I will learn and understand if I believe in Jesus. He'll show me and he'll teach me as I go through life. And of course I'll believe all that stuff but only because I believe in him. But it starts with believing in him. Believing in the who, not the what. Does that make sense? We need to see the difference between the what and the who. Now let's wrap up and look at our verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now notice, and I'm sorry if I'm beating a dead horse, but notice what it does not say. It does not say whoever believes in what Jesus did for you on the cross will not perish, but have eternal life. No, it does not say that. According to this verse, it says that if we believe in him, if we live as if Jesus were true, as if Jesus were right about everything, in other words, obey him. If we believe him, we will experience eternal life. The outcome of belief in Jesus is eternal life. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, okay, I think I get my head around belief, but what does it mean to have eternal life? Well, that, my friends, is next, next week's churchy word, okay? <laughs> We're going to cover that word and understand it. And hopefully this verse will make complete sense to us. Guys, as we cover all these words we're going to cover in this series, we're going to see how everything ties together perfectly and it's going to make sense. But we need to understand it. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And God, as I prayed at the beginning, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would pull off the blinders that we might have in our eyes so that we might see the light of your truth. And God, I pray that as we see these things in Scripture and we get to know your Son, that we would believe him and follow him. And I pray that for every person here today. God, I pray if there is someone in our midst who has just been believing the what and not the who, that you would, that you would just convict them of that and show them the truth. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. Have an awesome week and go out and enjoy your 60-degree weather, if you believe that. I don't know if it's going to be there, but uh, we'll see you next Sunday.